Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 417 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm your co-host and CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, where you'll find wonderful writing courses and an incredibly supportive writing community. I'm here with Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of The Firestar, a Maven and Reeve mystery, and many other books, and one coming up very soon next month. How are you, Al? Oh, honestly, do you want the honest answer? Go I on, honest. Pre- I cannot even pretend to be fair to middling today. Why? Um, I am in a world of pain. I am mid moving house. And oh, yeah, I get it. We have discussed at length over the. I mean, I don't know. It, obviously, it's just the year for it, Valerie, because yeah. you and I have both been through it. Um, mm-hmm. So I am just, yeah, I've got half my life in boxes, mm. half of it strewn all over the floor, and just. You know, and the thing that gets me about it is how time-consuming the whole thing is. It has taken up so much time. I have been, and it's it's not just the, you know, are we going to, you know, sell the Lego, that kind of stuff, but (laughs) just the admin of, you know, you've got to connect here and disconnect there. And oh, anyway, I'm so I'm so bored with myself that we can't (laughs) even speak about it anymore. Oh, I understand. And when you get to the other end, as we have already, so we've unpacked all the boxes and discover the boxes that went astray along the way. That's <gasps> the fun part too. Mm. What? How did that happen? An entire box of LP records, you know, like vinyl, um, really old vinyl, disappeared into thin air. <laughs> anyway. what, did, it go in, did it go into storage and then not come out or did it go into a truck and then not it come out? It went to a truck and not and didn't come out it it never went to storage so yes that's interesting um so fun Mm. times but anyway I Mm. understand the pain that you're going through and I understand how disruptive it is so we'll plunge straight into it uh we want to give a big shout out to Nolene who kindly left us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts. And Nolene basically said that she's already listening to So You Want to Be a Writer, but thought that she would cast all the way back to episode one to see how it sounded oh back then. Episode and one. She, <laughs> I know. Li- I, how long, I, I don't know that I've oh, ever oh. listened to episode one and I think I would be too scared to listen to episode one. So long one. ago. Yeah. So long ago. We were so different Nolene, people. Di- completely different people. So Nolene said, yeah, I listened to 2014's chat with Graham Cincian, um, and got to say, Valerie and Alison, you ladies are solid, have been since day one. You are the goods for writers and AWC inspired and aspiring all alongside, uh, not just business and and personal achievements for you both, but really giving something, um, if that ain't a great service in itself, I don't know what is. Oh, and hi, Rocky, who meowed in the background there. <laughs> oh, no, what? We're going to have to listen, aren't we? <laughs> and sh- <laughs> Nolene says, shakes my muse purrs back at you. Uh, so um, thank you so much, Nolene. We really appreciate the five-star review. And if you are listening and you have 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice, Uh, we'd really be grateful because it certainly helps us in the rankings and we do read them all. So um, that would be awesome. And thank you, Nolene, again. There you go. Is it really 2014 that we started this? Must be, I guess. That's what she said. Time flies, huh? 
Oh, Valerie. Time flies. How is that possible that we've been talking? How is that possible that people have been listening to us for that? (laughs) (laughs) I know. Well, one listener we want to say hello to is Matt Dewar, who... Oh, oh, now... Matt posted a photo in the So You Want to Be a Writer Facebook group. So if you're not yet part of the listener community, please do join us. It's free to join. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community on Facebook and request to join. It's one of the best groups around. I absolutely love it. Some just fantastic people in there. But Matt, oh, my goodness. Matt, 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 please come and live with me. <laughs> oh, oh, there you go. <laughs> Matt posted a photo of Bonoffi cake, which he made himself. Oh my I God. I, it made me laugh so much because oh. he puts the photo in there, says, wish I could send this Bonoffi cake over to you, Valerie, who moist banana cake layers, this is a bit like watching MasterChef, with a caramel whipped cream, more caramel and fresh banana. Uh-huh. He's team chocolate, but it almost converted him. So he puts it up and Val goes, this looks amazing. Where can I buy one? <laughs> of <Yes>. course. <laughs> I didn't know people goes, can make these things. Actually, I made it this morning. Unbelievable. Well done, Matt. You're amazing. And you know what? I'm really sad it's banana cake because clearly I won't be joining you, but um, you did do a very nice job. It looks lovely. It's absolutely brilliant. I think that, you know, you could have a second career just feeding me. Anyway, all right. (laughs) Yeah, he probably doesn't. So (laughs) because uh, Al's in the midst of moving everything, we're going to move straight on to our competition this week. We have three copies of The 22 Murders of Madison May by Max Barry. Uh, I'm really keen to read this, actually. I haven't yet, uh, but I remember reading Max Barry's first book 20 years ago or ridiculously long, you know, um, long time ago, thinking this is really cool. Anyway, in Queens, New York, 22-year-old real estate agent Madison May is showing a house. The buyer, a man she's never met, is friendly, engaging, and claims to be her soulmate from a parallel life. She's in danger, he tells her. He's come to save her. Later that day, newspaper journalist Felicity Staples is assigned to report on Madison May's murder. She finds herself drawn into a shocking conspiracy involving a powerful group who have harnessed the ability to slip between lives, to move between one version of reality to another. On the run, Felicity is forced to seek the truth behind Madison May, the woman who is murdered over and over in different ways wherever she goes. For only by saving Madison May can Felicity reassemble the broken pieces of herself. Ooh, okay. So if you want your chance to win one of the three copies of The 22 Murders of Madison May by Max Barry, lots of M's there, go to writerscentre.com.au slash win. Entries close on the 12th of July. That's writerscentre.com.au slash win. All right. Moving on, Al, are you ready for the word of the week? Well, I'm going to say yes, just to kind of, you know, truncate matters because, you know, I've got lots to pack and stuff to do. Yeah. Truncate matters. Okay. OTOs. Now, not odious. So OTOs. Which I do like. I think odious is a great word. It's quite a good word, but so is OTOs. OTOs. Okay. O-T-I-O-S-E. OTOs. Mm. Do you know what it is? No. Okey. It's an edge. Yes. <laughs> you truncated. Okay. It's truncated, it's yes. An adjective, and according to the Macquarie Dictionary, it has three definitions. It can mean 
at leisure or ineffective or superfluous. So you could say editing your writing means cutting out those otios words and sentences. Huh, yeah. Mm. Mm. I would like like to be otios meaning at leisure, but I am not. So let us move on. All right, and that was the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. All right, let's move on to our writer in residence this week. We have the fabulous Jacqueline Maylie, who many people will know and will recognise her byline from her many um, columns mm-hmm. in the Sydney Morning Herald and, you know, in Fairfax newspapers. Uh, but she has written this book, The Truth About Her, which is absolutely fascinating and so well written and, oh, all the good things. Um, we talk about what the book is about when we start the interview, so I'm sure you'll enjoy this chat with Jacqueline Maley. Thanks so much for joining us today, Jacqueline. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my God, your book. I just drank it in. I just, <laughs> it's a page turner. I loved every word. I thought it was seamless. Such a great premise, but also incredibly seamless is the key word and riveting writing because you just have this incredible ability to to capture humanity and to capture people's behavior but before I go on because I could go on because I really loved it um just for those listeners who haven't read the book yet can you please tell them what it's about yeah, sure. It's um the the truth about her is a book that centers on the protagonist Susie Hamilton, who's a journalist and a single mother. And at the right at the beginning of the book, this is not a spoiler. Um, she writes a an expose of a sort of wellness blogger, exposing this young woman as a fraud. And after she writes the story and it's published, then the young woman, the wellness blogger, kills herself. Susie finds out about this and it sort of um, trips her over into a kind of um, a lot of feelings of guilt and shame. And um, then she starts receiving in the post sort of items, personal effects of the wellness blogger, and she doesn't really know where they're coming from. And that's sort of the setup. And, it, you know, the, the, the incident, the death of the young woman sort of triggers a reckoning for Susie in a lot of different ways about the stories she's told herself about her own life and other people in her life and also the consequences of the stories um, that she writes. So ultimately it's sort of a book about stories and the stories that we tell ourselves and it's also a lot about motherhood because Susie is a single mother and um, that's very much her relationship with her daughter is very much at the centre of the book. 
So, well, there's so much to unpack here, but let's start with the elephant in the room because the wellness blogger, there are so many parallels with the notorious, infamous, let's just say it, Belle Gibson, who, because your protagonist also pretends that she had cancer, your protagonist is a young, pretty woman with a big social media following, uh, your protagonist also, like Belle Gibson, had, you know, school friends coming out saying, oh, no, she, I went to school with her, that's not, that's not who she is. How much was inspired by that and what else fed into this premise and the idea for this book? It's interesting because I've, I've, I've been asked about that before, like the Belle Gibson thing, and obviously that is what I was sort of basing um, basing Tracy Doran on, the, the wellness blogger in the book. But once I decided that I wanted to do that, I, I, needed, it, I needed it to be someone who was exposed and I wanted it to be a young woman for, for various reasons, I suppose, that fit with the plot. And the I guess Belle Gibson and that whole case just popped into my head. I'm I'm fascinated by the idea of frauds. I think that we're all fascinated by frauds and we follow those cases really, really closely, whether or not they're sort of like catfishing guys who, you know, con women or, you know, they're sort of financial frauds who get people to part with their money, you know, mm. um, for sort of Ponzi schemes or whatever. And I'm just re I think it's really, really interesting the extent to which people will lie to others and whether or not they believe those lies themselves or how much they believe their own lies. And it's sort of like an extreme version of what we all do because I think we all sort of lie to ourselves and to each other in small ways and maintain a performative sort of outer face. And if that's a young woman and she's pretty and so forth and it's turbocharged by the social media profile that she has, I just thought that would be really interesting to explore. Um, so yeah, Belle Gibson very much was the spark of the idea for that. And I took like the sort of bare bones of that case. But once I knew that I wanted to write a character like her or wanted to write, you know, a character that was, you know, sort of modeled on her, I actually deliberately didn't read a lot about her. I didn't, I didn't want it to be a portrait of her. I wanted mm. it to be very much my own character and my own creation, but I just thought it was really interesting. And, um, I, I guess, um, yeah, I wanted to steal the best bits of it and then just sort of make it my own creation. So that's where, that's where that came from. Mm-mm. Um, and so how did the idea, the rest of it form with, um, you know, the, the rest of the characters, the rest of the story, when did you, when did this spark into your brain and how long did it gestate for before you decided, Oh, I know the story I'm going to write. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, I keep trying to, I wish I could answer that question better. Cause it's sort of, it's such a kind of weird, it's like a weird alchemy. It's almost like a magic process. It's not even particularly, um, that's quite obscure to, to me in a way. I knew that I wanted to write. I had my main characters in my mind. So I knew, I knew who the main character was. I knew that where she lived, I pictured her and the environment that she was living in very, very vividly. And even the house that she was living in very vividly. And I knew that something she'd been, she was in disgrace. So something big had happened to her that had disgraced her publicly and had forced her to sort of break with her old life. And I thought that would be a really good beginning to the novel. And then she spends the rest of the time sort of reckoning with that and trying to climb her way out of it. So that was sort of 
to one corner. And then the other corner of my mind, because I'm, I'm a journalist and I've been a journalist my whole working life, I've always been interested in, and, but I've, I've always been a journalist who's read, like, I mean, I've always read novels and I've kind of, fiction is very much my first love and I've always written creative, creatively on the side, just secretly for myself. So Mm. from that point of view, I was, I was just always interested in the sort of moral murkiness of, um, journalistic ethics because the stories that we write that are the true story the truest stories or the the most fact-based stories and the most important stories are often also the stories that destroy the lives of individual people and that is something that all journalists reckon with on on you know different sort of bases um or in different ways and you know i would defend that right to the death as a journalist and as a novelist i just thought it'd be really really interesting to just kind of look at it in a more nuanced and complex way. And so to think about consequences um, and to think about stories as sort of more of a meta kind of theme. So that that's the sort of, those are two things that came into my head. And then I thought it would be really interesting if, um, you know, Susie was almost sort of like haunted from the grave by Tracy, this woman that she's, quote, killed through her story. Mm. And then I, yes, I wanted her to be receiving stuff and, you know, the personal effects of the young woman. And then I was like, well, who's, who's sending them and the character of, of well, I actually don't want to, <laughs> I don't want sure. to give away don't, too many don't, spoilers. Don't give it away. No, don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it just, I, I guess it all kind of unfurled from there. But definitely I can say when I started writing it, I had the elements, but I didn't really know where it was going to go. I just knew that, mm. I knew basically what I wanted to do in terms of themes and certain sort of the moral arc of the story, but I didn't know. I, I was really terrified of plot, actually. I was like, I don't know how oh. to plot. I'm a journalist. It's really, it's really <laughs> complicated. To, how much of a plot do I have to have, you know, um, all that kind of stuff was, was quite daunting. All right. Well, I want to unpack that as well in a sec, but I just want to clarify in case I got too carried away with the Bill Gibson question for listeners that the protagonist is Susie Hamilton, the journalist. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, I just wanted to clarify that. Um, and it's because she's written about the Bill Gibson inspired character that a whole series of events have occurred. And Susie herself we get to know her really well and as you say you you could picture where she lived and you know all that kind of stuff and she just jumps off the page she's so real you just said that you didn't know how to plot so or you didn't you weren't sure you know what to do with that because you're so used to being a journalist and the facts are the facts right you write the facts so how did that unfold if you're so used to writing non-fiction you're so used to writing real stories what did you do to let this story come to life and know what was going to happen to Susie? It's, yeah, that's such a great question. I mean, I think there was two things I did that were sort of opposites almost. Like um, I would get really obsessive. I, I've always read a lot of books. I've always read a lot of fiction. In fact, I pretty much only read fiction, even though I should probably read a lot more, <laughs> more nonfiction for my job. So I would always just, I've just always been a big reader and once I started thinking more about this novel or just novels in general, I would start reading in a really sort of, you know, like a real sort of pervert, like I was just picking out the details. I was like, what have they done 
here <laughs> and what, how have they structured their plot? And I got really obsessive about it. I'd be like, what actually, if you like, and I would go to all my favorite books and like break down the plot. And, you know, like a Jane Austen book has a, they have very, very basic plots, really like the main narrative arc. But then they have all these complex sort of interwoven subplots. So it's like that. that's actually very skillful. Um, other books that I like don't really have much of a plot at all. Um, but so I would swing back and forth and I'd be like, well, plot's not that important. It's just all about the writing and the characters. But then I'd be like, well, you've got to move the characters forward somehow. You've got to put them in the world and have them walking and talking and moving towards something. So I'd get really, really obsessive about it and almost a bit overwrought about that. And then the other, the flip side of that, which actually my publisher, Catherine Milne, helped me with because she was just like, let it breathe. You don't have to get to the point quickly. You've got a lot of room. It's, you know, it's very different to the journal, to journalism in that mm. sense because journalism, you're always having to pare things back and cram a lot of information into a short space of time. And this is like you can just meander if, when you're writing a novel. Like mm. you can just explore any little thought or, or kind of um, interesting sort of, um, you know, idea that comes across your head or the character's head. You can cut it all out later if it's not relevant. So I sort of had to loosen the corset. And then Catherine Milne, my publisher at HarperCollins, was like, you know, just let the characters tell you sort of what they want to do. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I thought that sounded kind of a bit like, I don't know, like <laughs> a little bit fanciful. But she was right. She was absolutely right. So once I had my characters, I'd put them together and I'd be like, well, what would Jan say to, you know, um, mm. her daughter in this situation and how would that play out? And then it kind of flows, like it just kind of worked that way um and I would think I was about mm. two-thirds of the way through and then I was like oh this is how it's going to end I know how I, I kind of had an, a vision of the last scene but I was I worked out how the plot was going to sort of tie up and but I think you also because it's literary fiction you can't get too hung up it doesn't need to be all wrapped up in a bow at the end so um I remember like seeing Elizabeth Gilbert talk like a few years ago at the Sydney Opera House mm. and she talked about how you know, she would sort of like feel really smug when critics would give a review of one of her novels and she'd be like, they never even noticed that I just like killed off this person because I didn't know what to do with them. And like, you know, all the things that she knew were wrong with the plot, nobody ever picked up on anyway. So I was like, you know, <laughs> I'm probably overthinking this somewhat. <laughs> but lucky that at the two thirds mark, it all, you know, transpired for you. It all came to, it all emerged for you. Um, because sometimes that doesn't happen and you just got to keep riding your way into it. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I wouldn't want to give the impression that it was sort of like effortless at all because I definitely, <laughs> um, I think, like I look at the book now, I probably shouldn't I probably shouldn't admit to this, but I look at the book now and I can see exactly where I think I relaxed into it a little bit more and I sort of was was like, okay, I'm cool with this. And now I'm sort of, you know, like when you're going for a run and for the first like little while, you're like huffing and puffing, you don't want to be <laughs> there and it's all a bit hard. And then you get into a rhythm. I can see the point in the book where I, where I get into my rhythm. Um, <laughs> so yeah, but I think I did re do a lot of rewriting and a lot of chucking stuff out. And I also wrote another manuscript before I wrote this book that um, right. just ended up going nowhere. So, yeah. That was your <laughs> practice like, novel. That's right. That's exactly right. That was my apprenticeship. <laughs> so you 
you, your day job is as a journo, you write columns, you, um, you know, have a demanding professional job. So let's talk about on a practical level, how you fit this in, when exactly did you write, <laughs> you know, like actual, like actually what time of day and that sort of thing. And from what period did you start writing to when you finished your first draft? Yeah, I, I love listening to other writers talk about this stuff because I'm like, I want to know where you're sitting and I want to know yeah. exactly the hours that you write. Um, I, I, was, I had long service leave, so like I had already written the apprentice, you know, the practice novel, which yeah. was sort of heartbreaking, um, but ultimately very fruitful. And I, so I had long service leave in 2018. So I think mm. I ended up, and I ended up extending it, like just taking on my leave. I think I ended up having about three months or two and a half months and it was over winter. My daughter was in daycare. Um, so it was a very long day. Like the good thing about daycare is you can sort of dump them pretty early and pick them up pretty late. <laughs> Um, it sounds bad, but anyway, I'm just going to go with it. Um, so I would be at my desk by eight or eight 30 and I would just write. And I always was like, you can't, I'd always made sure that I got 2000 words done every day. So I did, well, I just had to, right? Like, I just was like, this is now or never like, you're not, you know, this is your long service leave. You're never going to get this again. Like I put a lot of pressure on myself. And also because I was a journalist, because I've been a journalist, it's not, writing prose isn't that like I found that easy Mm. wasn't it didn't wasn't high quality but I could pump it out so I would and I would write in the mornings I I usually find by the time it gets to about two I'm pretty stuffed like my my concentration isn't much good so I might do a bit of revision or reading over stuff in the afternoon and then I'd pick up my daughter and honestly it was just such a happy time it was really simple very very quiet life Mm. so I got a probably a good 30 or 40,000 words done in that period. And then I just took my holidays. I took weekends whenever I could when my daughter was with her grandma. Mm. Sometimes I'd go to Canberra and like hole up in at University House, which is like this sort of um, accommodation at um, the ANU there, which is a great place to write. Um, yeah, I just begged, borrowed and stole time wherever I could. And it took wow. me about 20 months, I think. So Wow. Not quite two years. And then at, I applied for a fellowship at a writer's centre, the Catherine Susanna Pritchard Writer Centre in WA, mm-hmm. and I got it. And that was two weeks in a cottage in the Perth Hills in this beautiful spot, like right in the bush. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and that was a, the timing of it was so good because I'd just finished, I'd finished my draft. And I was like, if I can just have that, if I can somehow get there and do that, then I'd, be, I'd have two weeks of just completely uninterrupted time where I could really polish this draft and get it to a state where I felt like it was good enough for someone else to see. Mm-hmm. And so I did that. I still can't really believe that I left my daughter for that long, but I did. <laughs> and um, she was fine. And she, it was invaluable. And, I mean, God, like to think that some people get to do that all the time, like just it was just amazing. Like I just got up really early you're in the middle of the bush, you can write for as long as you want. I lived mm-hmm. kind of like a monk, like I just ate crackers and apples and stuff <laughs> and drank coffee. And then in the afternoon I'd go for these like beautiful long walks in like the Perth bush where and it was wildflower season. I mean, it was just gold. So <laughs> um, I got my draft done like sort of spick and span and then I sent it off. And, yeah, so that was sort of how I did it. 
I don't, I don't like I'm writing my second one now and it's actually more challenging because my daughter's at school so the days are much shorter um mm. so look I don't know how it's going to work now I've, I've I've started writing at nights a little bit um but I do I actually find that difficult because my day job is sitting in front of a computer writing so I don't know how I'm going to manage that <laughs> so your second one is does that follow on from this at all or is it of the same kind of genre what, what can you tell us anything about it yeah it's very it's still very um early days it's not a sequel or anything like that although i have vaguely thought about doing that thing that some writers do where they just have a character from their yeah. first novel who just has a little cameo mm. um yeah i'd love to do that actually um <laughs> But it's no, but it's no, it's it's unconnected. So it's a it's about um, I want to set it in the world of kitchens. So in the world of restaurant kitchens. So the main character works in a restaurant kitchen, and I want it to be about hunger, um, all the different types of hunger, and that's all I could probably say at the moment. I've got a tentative title for it, but there's so there's still so many elements of it to be worked out. That um yeah, it's just very very um it's still like a, a sort of little newborn not even newborn it's like a fetus that's a bad <laughs> metaphor but um, so <laughs> did this idea come to you after you had already completed the first one or well t- completed this manuscript the truth about her or did did it come to you while you were writing it it was afterwards because I started like I started thinking about new books and new ideas and yeah. I mean probably like most people, you, I read pretty widely and I started, um, I was just, you know, you, you like a bit of a bowerbird. You're like, what's, you know, what's a good story? What can I pick yeah. up? What can I sort of steal basically? So I was looking, um, whenever something really captures my imagination, um, I sort of steal it or I rip it out. Um, and I, I read the news a lot because I think sometimes truth really is stranger than fiction. And I think there's some really great stories or elements of stories that you can read in news in newspapers um and you know long film journalism like the new yorker or whatever so i started thinking there's a few elements you know that i've sort of picked up i suppose from from reading but yeah i I came up with the idea after i finished the first one but but i don't exactly even know what the idea is yet like i sort of have got a few Mm. elements that i'm putting together and i have to work out a story from them so the thing about the characters, and I'm not going to give anything away, the thing about the characters in this book, you already said that you knew your main character, Susie, really intimately, uh, but all of the other, well, most of the other main, all of the other main characters are, are so vividly drawn as well, obviously largely through Susie's eyes. And, but your descriptions, the little nuances, the little tiny actions that they do, just um, make them so real to the reader and you kind of, you're almost thinking, oh, I can totally see that. What did you do to, because, you know, these are from your imagination, (laughs) what did you do to draw, to develop these characters while you were putting them on the page in order to get all of those tiny little nuances of how they would, you know, put their foot somewhere or how they would say something what'd you do yeah I'm I'm so it's so so gratifying to me that you think they're well drawn because that's I mean you know people different authors have different things that they 
focus on or are good at, I suppose. And I just really love, you know, character is what I, I love reading character-driven fiction. So I really wanted to create the characters that were um, lovable but maddening and that you really cared about. Um, I think, I, like, I've, I really, really mechanically read other fiction now. So, um, and mm. if I feel like there's a well-drawn character, I'm like, what has she done that mm. makes me care about her? Why do I care about her? What has she told me about her? Um, so I just, and then I just sort of try to copy it, I suppose. Mm. So I think that um, the layering of detail is really important. Um, you know, I guess I would imagine my characters very vividly and then I would think about all the different things that they do I mean how do you know a person you know a person through the way they move in the world I think that's really important to get when you're writing a character like how do they move how do they look when they're walking through a room Mm. how do they how does it feel to watch them um what kind of impression do you get from watching them move around and occupy a space um also obviously dialogue is important um but also just the detail about the person. So I would, I just tried to nail all that down and just, I suppose, just be really observant of the people around me. And in my job, you know, I'm lucky because I meet, I meet so many people. I have met so many people over the years of all different, you know, all different types of people. And it's your job really to observe them, I suppose, one way or the other. And as a journalist, you're really asking the questions and you're watching and writing down people's answers. So you become a a trained observer, I suppose. So I had that practice in the background. But um, I also, I was just intrigued, like I've read, James Wood has a really good, the New Yorker, sort of famous New Yorker critic has a really good book about novel, you know, writing novels. And Mm. in in his chapter on character, he notes that some of the, you know, um, some of the greatest characters in the literature are the ones that are actually really just this sort of almost like a sketch. So he cites the example of Jean Brodie, you know, who's sort of mm. this incredibly vibrant, like you have such a strong impression of who she is. And then he actually goes and tells, like sort of combs through the book and is like, you really know almost nothing about this character, like her background. And, he, you know, there's a very scant description given of her. Um, so I thought that was interesting as well, that sometimes you can just, sometimes it's dialogue, the way they talk. Sometimes it's the things that they don't say. Mm. Um, but sometimes you just need to give a few brush strokes and all of a sudden you've, you know, you've got quite a strong character and you don't necessarily need to go through all of their childhood and what have you. Um, mm. But, yeah, I mean, that was so much fun writing characters. Like I just think that's the funnest thing ever <laughs> when you're writing a book. You can just create people. It's like mm. being a little girl again and, like, you know, playing playing with a doll's house or something where you just totally control the action. It's great. <laughs> I love that. What was the <laughs> hardest thing about writing this novel? Um, definitely, like, struggling with, you know, self-doubt and the feeling of, you know, mediocrity that I think we all sort of probably battle. But, when you, you know, when you're sitting – when you're sitting in front of a computer trying to create something. And I think, you know, I think when you have, when you love literature and you spent all your life reading literature and consuming, you know, really good art generally, Mm. you kind of know what it is. You can recognize it. Mm. And when you sit down and try to do it yourself, you're very, very hyper aware of the gap between what you're doing (laughs) and what you would like, what you're trying to emulate or what you love. So there's definitely that struggling with self-doubt. And then, um, yeah, I just go back to the plotting, like, and the sort of, you know, it's so, it gets so unwieldy a book after 
you know, when you're 70,000 words in, you're like, I don't know what I, where I left that person last mm-hmm. time. Like, did, are they sitting on a park bench back in like chapter two? I can't remember. Um, the structure, um, the structural elements of it, I found like really um, quite, quite difficult. Yeah. Um, mm. So that was sort of like almost like a puzzle, like a, a logic puzzle or something that I had to, had to work out. Let's go back to the self-doubt because, you know, you experience, you said you experienced self-doubt and, and feelings of mediocrity and stuff. So what did you do when you experienced that to get over that in order to push on? I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess everybody struggles with that, I think. Everybody who tries yeah. to write must struggle with that. I guess, I don't know, maybe like Vladimir Nabokov didn't. I don't know. <laughs> um, I, just, I don't know. <laughs> did Jane Austen struggle with self-doubt? I don't know. Um, or did they know they were geniuses? Um, <laughs> I think that you remind yourself or I reminded myself that you're not, I don't know, you're not doing it to show that you're, the best or that you can win a prize or anything like that. You're sort of doing it because you want to and on some level you sort of feel like you have to. And I enjoyed it. I had fun doing it and mm. I, I loved it. I actually did it for quite selfish reasons in a way because I once I got into it, um, the world became so real to me. It was a place that I wanted to go to mm. and I wanted to visit and I wanted to hang out and I wanted to see what would happen. So, um yeah, it goes back to that imaginary world thing. I think, um, I, yeah, so I'd just push aside the self-doubt and I'd be like, you know, I'm going to finish this because I want to I want to see what happens. Mm. How did you deal with the – because when you are a journalist, you are writing, you know, 800 words, 1,500 words. It's uh, it's 2,000 words. They're a lot shorter <laughs> than yeah. 70,000 words, 80,000 words, right? And you get a sense – well, I imagine you get a sense of – I certainly get a sense of gratification once I've finished the story and I've filed it and, you know, yippee, good on me. But you don't get that for so long. Um, How did you deal with the fact that you weren't getting that hit, you know, like that dopamine hit to kind of that you got so used to with your other writing? Yeah, I know, and it is really nice thing to be able to meet a deadline and walk away, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I would – look, I was pretty obsessive about word counts and I, so I'd be like, right, mm. I've got 20,000 words. I've got, And you get this sort of feeling of like almost like security when you know that you're 40,000 or 50,000 words down. Um, but I suppose I just had to really relax. I just had to be like, you know, this is – it takes a really long time. Um, nobody – like, you know, writing a novel, God, it's not hard because you're not like, it's not like you're working a, you know, a 20 hour shift on a cancer ward. It's not hard mm. in that sense, but it's hard in the sense that, um, yeah, you're doing something that feels like you're toiling in obscurity for a long time for, you know, and sometimes you're like, why am I, why am I doing this? Am I just wasting my time? Um, but I think, you know, I just had to relax. I had to really relax and just like breathe out and just be like, you know, just enjoy this process and take as long as you want. And yeah, like just be, just, you know, allow yourself that freedom to just follow a thought or to, you know, spend two pages describing someone's jumper or whatever it is Mm. that you want to do, you know, like that's a freedom that you don't get in journalism. So there were, there, there was actually, once I got into that, I was, I really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. and on that 
you and, and that's where some of those observations come in that really bring things to life because you do have the freedom to do that. But what happens is that either it works really well for this is for you know some writers either it works really well or it ends up as stuff that really needs to be cut <laughs> so, yeah. so how much cutting did you have to do if I, any yeah yeah like no I did I did do a fair bit of cutting um I've tried to be reasonably brutal because as you say, like you can have, um, there's various thought bubbles in the book and like little, you know, mm. discursive passages where I'm sort of like talking about, you know, the art gallery crowd and stuff like that. Mm. Um, I guess, you know, there's that rule that basically if each, each sentence either has to advance the story or it has to, um, mm. it has to, um, elucidate the character so I tried to sort of generally stick to that and I mm. suppose I mean I don't know people might read the book and think it could have been edited down further but um I no, think, I think it's perfect <laughs> well yeah I mean I was almost a bit because I'm I like reading unless I'm reading you know a classic or unless I'm reading I don't know um you know Vikram Seth or something like you know unless you're reading or Hilary Mantel I sort of I mm. do actually think that books should contemporary novels should be reasonably short or like not too much longer 200 300 pages anything longer than that you're really stretching you've got to you know you better be really good um so I didn't want it to be super long but I think as a journalist as well you you have a quite a good sense for where fat can be yeah. cut um yeah. so hopefully I brought that to this book and then of course you have a publisher who's like you know they're not going to spare your feelings for the sake of for the sake of it, so they, were they there, come and do an edit. Were there any tough discussions with the publisher? Did they come back to you with, oh, this really doesn't work or anything like that? No, I was really lucky. Um, I think because, I, because I had, I'd had sort of one experience before of a, not, of a manuscript not working out, mm. I wanted to make sure that the second one was really polished up before I showed it to anyone. Mm. Um, so I did that. And then the structural edit that I had, which is, you know, obviously – as I'm sure you know, like the big edit where they're like, they look at the overall story and whether or not it sort of pans out. Um, that was pretty light. Like Catherine Milne, my publisher, who did that. Yeah, she she came in and she was she suggested sort of I write two scenes because Susie hadn't really, like she hadn't completed or like she, the narrative arc was a bit suspended in time with her relationship with sort of two key characters. So Catherine just immediately knew that. She was like, this is unresolved and this is unresolved and I want you to write these two separate scenes. And she she really nailed it. She was like, I think you're avoiding, I don't know what it is, but you're avoiding something here. So I, I want you to like, you know, um, mm. seize that, nail it down and write this scene. And she had a vague suggestion for what it was, but really let me go with it. And yeah, so she made the novel much better because she she grasped what it was that I was avoiding, or and I, you know she she realised that there was sort of unresolved stuff that needed mm. to be resolved a little bit. Yeah. So I started this chat drawing some of the parallels with Bell Gibson and um, uh, with the character Tracy Doran in the book and in the book uh, after after the Susie story comes out. Tracy Doran kills herself. Um, so the other parallel that immediately uh, came up to me, and uh, it depends on how old you are, I'm not sure <laughs> what your age is, Jacqueline, and I'm not asking you, <laughs> um, 
is the incident that occurred um, at Fairfax, I think, which is where you you work, um, with Ian Story, the stockbroker Ian Story. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. I, oh. I, do you recall? Do you recall that incident? I, I think I know what you're talking about, which I've I actually have heard about since I wrote the book, and mm. I think it was um it was Deirdre Mackin, wasn't it, who yes. wrote that story? In yeah, Good Weekend. No, yes, and I never knew that when I wrote the book. Really? Um, no, I didn't. Wow. And I and then since then. I met someone who is related to Deirdre because I don't know her. I've, I read her column in The Australian. Okay. I met someone who was related to her who said, oh, this happened to, you know, my relative. Yes. And I was like, oh, wow. And I, I didn't know that. I did not know that. Um, wow. Yeah, it was just I was the, – the, I sort of I – I, like I was saying before, I wanted – I knew that Susie had been disgraced and I wanted it to be as a consequence of the stories that she wrote – and I thought, what's the worst possible consequence that you could have from a story that you wrote? And that's that's what I came up with. Um, so that was my logic. But no, I didn't know that it had ever happened to anyone. Okay. So for listeners who may not be familiar, because I mean, I think I was still a teenager when it when it occurred, and I actually remember reading Good Weekend and reading this story. And I mean, it was beautifully written in terms of the you know sentence structure and all that kind of stuff. But it was about a stockbroker who was quite colourful, and he his name is Ian Story, and and it it did you know it painted him, um, in a certain light that he probably wouldn't have loved you know mm. um there were sort of terms in there like he I remember it to this day even though it was so decades ago um terms in there like he you know was like a puppy dog and that sort of thing which you know yeah. some big shot stockbroker is not that probably isn't gonna think is awesome anyway as a res- after that story sadly and tragically he took his um own life and uh it, uh, um, it, 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 one of the, it, it was, it was just so shocking that that could have occurred, that that occurred and obviously tragic and no doubt it would have been, um, devastating for all involved, in, including the journalists and, and the, 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 the magazine and all that sort of stuff. And also years later, I happened to run a, I was, I was running a course and people were talking about this sort of thing potentially happening, like, well, you know, writing unfavorably about somebody. Mm. And I mentioned this incident because it's stuck with me for you know, a long time. And someone in the course said, yes, that happened. I was his PA. <gasps> oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so, you know, these, your words, words have consequences. Obviously, yeah, yeah, and um, it's such a interesting thing to explore. And I, I thought that you knew of that story as well. Um, no, I did. I didn't. As I say, I've, I've heard about it um, since, but I only mm. the sort of basics of it. Um, and it certainly wasn't something that I took from life. I just thought, mm. I just thought it would be a really, really interesting thing to explore. As you say, words have consequences, and as a journalist, you could completely justify a story. Um, on the grounds of public interest and, you know, that it's a, it's a good story that exposed wrongdoing or injustice or whatever. Um, but how much I was sort of like, how much would that mean to the family of the person and how much yeah. would that mean to the person themselves? Um, yeah, so it's just sort of, I was just interested, I was interested in that. Um, 
because as journalists we often do, I mean, the stories that are the best stories journalistically are the ones that have negative consequences for mm. the subjects of those. And, you know, people can blame the media, people can say that journalists are this, that or the other, but at the end of the day nobody wants to read a story that doesn't have any drama, any conflict, any tension in it. That's mm. true for journalism as it is, or for nonfiction as it is for, as it is for fiction. So, um, yeah, I just, I, I just, and that goes back to that thing about stories and what do we want from our stories? Mm. What do we need? What do we need them for? And why do we tell them? So, they're all the things that I was trying to explore on a sort of deeper level. It's such a fascinating and important thing to to have a conversation about. So, um, finally, what's your advice? Your top three tips for aspiring writers who you know want to get their novel published one that one day? Yeah, gosh, I I mean, I feel it's like when people ask you parenting advice, and I'm like, <laughs> oh no, I've only got one, and like she hasn't. <laughs> we'll just wait and see how she turns out. Um, I feel like you should ask the woman who's got ten kids. But um, um, look, I would say the things that got me to, to the to a completed manuscript sort of stage were not waiting for inspiration. I think you can, you, you do, you, you make a mistake if you sort of romanticize the writing mm. process and think you'll be able to like curl up on a window seat overlooking a country, um, you know, landscape and just jot down a few thoughts whenever inspiration strikes. I think you just have to set aside time, set a, set a, set a word limit for yourself and, and just do it. Um, I'm, I really think you need no distractions. So mm. I turn off the internet. I put my phone in another room. I don't know how anyone can possibly write without doing that. I'm actually <laughs> shocked that anyone tries. Um, you set aside time for it and really selfishly guard that time. And, and I also find social media for me does not go well with writing like creatively. So just find there's so much clutter in your brain if, you, if you've got social media. So when I'm going through periods when I'm writing – or I'm trying to get into a book, I just take all that stuff off my phone and I don't look at it because it's like yeah. my, my brain can just sort of, I don't know, it can just sort of wander a bit more. Um, and when you're not constantly giving yourself the scrolly, scrolly, compulsive sort of thing, whenever you, your, your brain's idle, it can actually go off and have imaginative thoughts that might be original and interesting. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, so yeah, remove all distractions, don't wait for inspiration. And I think remember when even when you find it hard remember that it's supposed to be enjoyable nobody's forcing you to do it you're doing it because you want to do it and it's really freeing so just relish the freedom of being able to do whatever you want behave however you want have people say whatever you want them to say on the page because you know I mean where else in life do you get that freedom so um have fun with it I suppose and 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 enjoy it and love it fall in love with the characters um, yeah, just, just enjoy it. Wonderful. That's awesome. Everyone get a copy of the truth about her. It's absolutely fantastic. You won't regret it. And thank you so much for your time today, Jacqueline. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. There you go, Jacqueline Maley and her book, The Truth About Her. You know, such a, so many great insights into her process. But let's move on to, gosh, Al, what are yes. you, what, when's it all over? Like, are you, what are, you know, what's the well, most challenging technically, part? Well, technically I'll be moved into my new place, you know, pretty much by the time 
well, you know, I don't know, a few days. Soon. But yeah. um, mm. I don't know but you never when, know. well, you know, you, we know your experience with all <laughs> of the connecting of things. We've discussed it at length in previous episodes. <laughs> Uh, so there's going to be the unpacking and the and the connecting yeah. and all of that stuff that still you know needs to be done. And then of course we still have, um, you know, the the I don't know. I I, I I don't even know. Listen to me. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm a, <laughs> all right. Bam, yeah, a bamboozled I, mess basically. I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. All right. So, but who knows? Something might inspire you. Um, some of this experience might inspire some of your writing. Oh, it, no doubt. Well, I'm just really looking forward to at some point in my life, again, having the headspace to actually write something because yeah, I've got several ideas that I've been, um, you know, workshopping in my brain and mm. have had absolutely no time to actually, you know, do anything about. Um, there are just certain times in your life where you have to, where you just have to, succumb to that like you just have Mm. to relax into the fact that this is not the time to attempt to to be attempting much of anything so I'm making notes I'm taking photos I'm thinking about stuff and I'm just looking forward to hopefully uh just getting into the other side of this and having some you know space to write some of this stuff that's in my head onto the page. Um, The other issue I have at the moment, of course, too, is that the Wolf's Howl comes out on the 3rd of August. Um, Yes, how exciting. Which is very exciting but is also just adding another, you know, frisson of excitement to my life because (laughs) the media for that has started already. I'm, you know, I'm I'm booking things in and I'm organising interviews and I'm doing all these things and it sort of all feels... um, like I'm just, I've got a really bad feeling that August Allison is going uh-huh. to dislike July Allison a great deal. That's oh, all I'm saying. I, I, I see. Just because I feel yeah. as though July Allison mm. doesn't have a very good handle on mm. what August Allison is going to be capable of doing, and yet yes. July Allison is just forging ahead. Because I think it's one of those things where you've just got to go. Yeah, I'll do that. Of course, I'll do that. Yes, I'll mm. do that, and then figure out how you're going to do that later. Yes, I understand. Yes, totally. Okay, well, it will be interesting to see what transpires. Anyway, where do we find you online, Al, in the meantime? You'll you'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at at Altate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Writer. And you, Valerie, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentercomau slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentercomau slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.